Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Stacy Patton uh, welcoming you to the Believe Knicks podcast. Um, hope you're having a good week. Uh, it is Monday, June 27th right now, so happy Monday to all. Um, and we're joined today by a very special guest, um, Nick's Twitter's resident cap guru, um, Jeremy Cohen, uh, at The Coincidence on Twitter. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Doing great, Stacey. How are you? Um, you know, just trying to um, trying to make sense of, uh, of a million things that, that have been going on, uh, I think. Uh, were you as confused as the rest of us? You know, I, I know that you, you you're processing, you're used to processing lots of different complicated um, inputs at a lot of time. But I think we're all caught off guard that that draft night, right, with all the trades. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I didn't think the Knicks were going to trade out, and I didn't think they would trade back in. So that was super surprising. I think above all, though, everything was so poorly explained in the heat of the moment that what we're feeling just kind of manifested in its own way and grew. And then it just added more confusion to, to the pile. So, you know, I walk away feeling like a lot of it still comes down to free agency and that will better fill in the gaps for what happened, but it was certainly a whirlwind and I'm just glad we can kind of parse it out now. And it had to be Detroit. And so, I mean, I was definitely, I thought they were getting Ivy and I thought Leon Rose is getting a statue in front of, in front of MSG. So that would have been nice, but not meant to be, unfortunately. Um, but we are definitely going to talk about all of that. But before we get started, um, just want to let all of you know, our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news and sports development, including this year's Wimbledon finals, MLB, the latest fighting news, and even next year's early NFL futures. You can head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your, fifth, on your first deposit. Just use our code, our promo code, BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. Um, so, Jeremy, I think that, um, I mean, I think that before we even get started, how much do you, so I, I think that the reaction certainly on draft night um, was very negative. I think there's still a lot of fans that are, are a little bit negative there. Um, and I think that a big part of it was, as we just mentioned, kind of the emotional roller coaster of are we getting Ivy? Uh, I, I personally liked Usman Dieng, so I was happy even when that happened. <laughs> um, but and it's also just we've been several weeks of kind of um, talking ourselves into you know you know first we we didn't win the lottery and everyone was sad for a day then we start reading about johnny davis aj griffin all these guys and you're talking about like yeah we're 11th but you know shay gilgis alexander went 11th like guys get picked 11th and they're stars right and we talked ourselves into those guys for so many weeks um and then this happened um you know from from a one i would i would ask like i think you, you you're kind of a Knicks twitter veteran how much do you think it is kind of just that reward prediction error or whatever, where people are, you know, have been hyping themselves up for something and it went a different way versus how much do you think is legitimate? And, you know, also open it up just, you know, your assessment kind of on, on those moves. Well, considering how the Knicks are still searching for that next star, 
the idea of someone who has that type of potential to go from Jaden Ivey and the thought of the Knicks are going to trade up for him, or at least can do everything they can to put themselves in the best position to not getting Ivy. Then to they traded back into the draft to further get Ivy by getting uh, Jalen Duran, and they didn't. And then instead they moved Duran to the Pistons and dumped Kemba Walker as well. And I think either way you position it, where it's the Knicks traded four seconds and a first round pick to get 13, um, or the Knicks traded 13 and Kemba Walker for a distant future first. Uh, Either way, if you don't like the whole process, I get it. But I think all of this is kind of predicated on on, on fans' thoughts of Jalen Brunson. Because it seems as though the reason that the Knicks are clearing cap space is to go after Brunson. So if you love Brunson, then it makes a whole lot of sense why they would do this. If you can't stand Brunson or just don't want him on the Knicks period, then this certainly feels like you're kind of doubling down on getting a player that you maybe don't like. But this kind of was a this is a better path than doing the sign and trade. If the Knicks went over the cap team, the leverage would be with Dallas because the Mavs could kind of dictate what the Knicks could offer. So in hindsight, the reason why the Knicks were trying to do that deal in the deadline, which was Burks and Reddish and Noel going out, they would have cleared cap space and it wouldn't have been much of an issue. And then theoretically, the Knicks could have said, all right, we can still draft at 11 or they could have done this. They could have essentially traded down or tra- excuse me, they could have traded out and gotten these three picks. Um, they could have traded back in and then taken um, AJ Griffin or someone at 13, but they didn't. Instead, they decided to kind of push assets down the line and focus on how they could create room for Brunson. So it, I really think it, a lot of it depends on how you view Brunson, but also this season was not fun. And this was the reward for a bad season. So not having a reward this year, it's like, well, what is that for? What, what was this entire season about? If the veterans are playing ahead of the younger players, if the Knicks can't bring in a prospect that they want to build around, when in reality, they have plenty of mouths to feed to begin with. So we talk about how we want to see the young players succeed and thrive. What happens if we get to the position where the player taken 11th or 13th finds themselves out of the rotation, much like Quentin Grimes was and shouldn't have been, as he proved. So it, Again, I, I I do like Jalen Brunson, so I get it. I don't love what happened, but I understand it, and my opinion is subject to change based on if the Knicks do land Brunson when free agency opens or not. Um, let, let me ask you this, though. Even forgetting the Brunson, because, I, I mean, is it fair to look at Kemba and two second... I'm sorry, not two second rounds, four second round picks as separate from the Knicks trading 11 for three first rounders? You know, yeah, there it's indirect and direct at the same time because Kemba wasn't it's like the value added part where the four second round picks went into the thing that got the Knicks 13 and then 13 and Kemba went for what is expected to be a lesser draft pick with that Bucks pick. So I, I understand the philosophy of Kemba and four firsts and the difference between the 13th pick and the Bucks pick. That makes a whole lot of sense. I, I do get that. That I think, you know, like I don't love the fact that the Knicks gave up four seconds, but the Knicks also, for example, got three second round picks just from dealing for Ed Davis and then trading Ed Davis away. Shout out so, Ed Davis, man. That, I know. That right? is an it's MVP, like, MVP for the Knicks. <laughs> yep. So it's the sort of thing where second round picks can also be 
brought back. Like if we're looking at a situation where the Knicks are able to find more second round picks this summer, whether it's trading veterans or maybe they can do a sign and trade if it involves Brunson and, and there's something going on there. Like if we walk away and the Knicks got better as a team, they got younger and they have more first round picks and the same amount, for example, or one fewer second round pick than they did before the draft. I'd say that's a successful offseason. Others may disagree. So let's say they don't get Brunson at all. Do you think what they did from a value perspective in, in terms of having that first rounder and four second rounders, um, do you think they netted out? And again, I mean, the, there's the Kevin Pelton value chart. Um, you know, there are obviously cap considerations and all of that, but even if they don't get Brunson, do you think that was a move that puts them in a better position long-term, whether it's adding a star, whether it's, you know, if you believe in Walt Perrin is giving him three picks better, um, you know, even, even without considering the Brunson factor, do you think that that could end up being a plus value or do you think if we don't get Brunson, it, it looks pretty bad? It doesn't look great, especially considering the ties to Leon Rose that Jalen Brunson has. I would say, listen, the I am the type of person who believes that quality trumps quantity more often than not. But as Jonathan Wasserman said, it seems as though the range from 11 to 30 for this draft, scouts just were not thrilled with it. So maybe the Knicks tried to trade up for Ivy, but then they were also looking at trading down opportunities. They eventually figured out that OKC and Cleveland both wanted Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, that they were able to kind of navigate that accordingly, but they probably also felt, well, we don't need to trade from 11 to say like eight or nine and pick up Johnny Davis. Clearly they could have done that. I mean, granted it takes two to tango, but if they really loved a player like Johnny Davis that much, they would have gotten, they would have gone and gotten him, but they didn't. So the thing about kicking the can down the road is it does set you up better for future success. It's just a matter of what you are doing with those picks, because I think we can all agree that the Knicks are not going to be making all of these picks. But then it's, well, what position are you in to be able to trade that? Is it for a star? Is it for a prospect that you can then kind of build around in a really good draft year next year? So, yeah, you know, it it does really matter, in my opinion, to get Brunson. But if the Knicks don't get Brunson, then it's, well, how do you pivot? Are you throwing a huge offer at Colin Sexton. Uh, it doesn't make sense to really get Brogdon now. It would have been better if the Knicks were over the salary cap, but I would imagine that if the Pacers were dumping, you know, 22 or however much million dollars he's making, that the cost for getting Brogdon would be much cheaper because there's no salary going back. So a lot of different things at play, but I think they need to execute plan A for people to feel good about it. But even still, there are going to be fans who just don't like plan A, period. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I'm with you for one on, on Brunson. Uh, I think there are concerns, for me at least, if, if Tibbs would be willing to play him with, with quickly. Um, but I also don't think that there's anything that prevents them from playing together. I think quickly has the length. Brunson's a pretty strong guy. Um, what... Um, I mean, how much do you think if Brunson is the move, what is kind of the path forward? You have these picks now. Is it trading another star to add next to Brunson? Um, is it seeing how Brunson and Randall fit together and maybe adding a third star with those picks and, and maybe moving a guy like 
you know, you have maybe it's like, you know, it's like the Dark Knight, right? The Joker says we're having tryouts. So <laughs> if you're set on Brunson, you maybe you say you have IQ, OBRJ. Which one of you is going to go in a star trade? Well, you got to show me something. And, and whoever, you know, whoever doesn't show quite enough is maybe the most expendable. What What is the path forward at that point? Because um, it, it definitely feels like, like my opinion, I think that trading a first, an 11th pick in a not great draft for three future firsts, that are all likely to convey probably in the teens um, that bucks pick we would expect to be in the late twenties, but a lot can happen in three years. Um, and I'm certainly not hoping for anything to happen to Giannis, but um, you know, that, that, uh, you know, or, you know, if the, the team around him crumbles or, you know, those are factors you have to consider when, when considering that that farther out pick might actually be more valuable. So, so I think it was a net. I think that I see them making a lot of these incrementally good moves and people are kind of excited for the jump. But what is kind of your, you know, if you've seen 15,000 futures or whatever, um, what is the the one that you're picking out? So my preferred future, I guess if we could start in the present, you know, I just, I don't see how with Tibbs as coach, Randall and Obi can work together. And it's always felt to me 48 minutes of basketball 48 minus Julius Randle's amount equals, or his number equals Obi Toppins. And I just don't know how you get past that. And I don't think you can continue next year. Actually, I should say with more conviction, you can't continue next year with a similar path of even if Randle was playing 32 minutes um, or if, you know, if, and then Obi's getting what, 16 in this case, to me, that just, it doesn't feel right. But I understand why a lot of Knicks fans are of the belief where just the front office isn't trading Randall, period. Move on. And we'll certainly see about that. But for me, the path moving forward, just kind of long term, is I would really like to see the Knicks get um, a really good 2-3 prospect in the 2023 draft. I think that is really kind of like the main area that the Knicks could use a lot more beefing up, so to speak. You know, I'd like to see Grimes continue on this team 100%. And I would like to, I don't really know what's going to happen with Evan Fournier. He could be dealt this year. He could be dealt next year. I would imagine he's trade fodder at some point. But if you're able to use your own first round pick, the Mavericks first round pick, and future picks, and then maybe if you have a young player on the roster that you feel is expendable, if it even gets that point, maybe a team that we're able to move up and you can just use picks and similar to what the Knicks just did with the thunder. That to me feels like the right selling point, because if you can get a top prospect, yes, it's not an established star, but it's someone where you're basically selling to the fans. Well, we have RJ, we have quickly, we have Obi. Uh, assuming if they get Brunson, we have Brunson. We kept Mitch. We have Grimes. Like there's one more piece that we can kind of solidify here and it's a high potential player. My main thought process is patience. And I know that's really hard to say to that is fans. A, that is a four letter word at this point. In exactly. Land, so. Yes. And it's like, how much longer do we have to be patient is the prevailing thought from that. And I completely agree. My belief is that if the Knicks can structure themselves financially and and really just with players on cost-controlled contracts 
until 2025, they're in really good shape because that's when the salary cap is expected to spike with the new TV deal. There are a lot of great free agents that are going to be on the market. So one of the things that I feel that would kind of behoove the Knicks is create max cap space, go after a max player. By this point, the Knicks should be considered a, a good team, almost like what the Nets were when they got Durant and Irving before they That's them, turned they out lost them. Well. Uh, yes, but <laughs> certainly it would be a little bit better infrastructure than, than that. But being able to, or, or do what the Clippers did, which is, you know, like the Clippers in the 2018-19 season, I believe they were the eighth seed. They were a, just a good team, but they did not have a high ceiling. SGA, good player, no doubt, but he did not show what we've seen him show thus far. And then the Clippers found a player a really great player who wanted to be there in Kawhi Leonard. And then they traded what they needed to trade to get Paul George. And I think the Knicks could potentially create a scenario where they keep a lot of their core. They have money to spend on a great free agent. And then someone else who's maybe a little bit more disgruntled or just wants a change of scenery, they could target that player. And I know that's a lot of maneuvering and a lot of thinking between now and then, but that's why I see getting a top prospect in next year's draft as the perfect middleman or not middleman, but like the bridge. He's a young, he's a young homegrown player fans can rally around. And he's also not going to cost a ridiculous amount that might affect how the Knicks maneuver uh, down the line to really maximize their chances at a title. You talk about Brunson. Well, no, I, not even with Brunson. I'm saying like, if they can, to, I guess if we wanted to shift to Brunson, to me, Brunson is the perfect placeholder and place setter for the Knicks for the next three years. I see him getting a four-year deal. I would imagine the fourth year is a player option, which again, lines up with that 2025 summer. Um, basically what the Knicks could say is if you are here and we have the money to keep you, we'd love it. But if there are better players that are on the market and we prioritize them, then we're going to do that. And that way, Leon Rose doesn't have to trade uh, Jalen Brunson, which I don't think he would have done anyway, but it, it opens up other opportunities. But Brunson at least helps the Knicks get better. It helps the players around him get better than their value just in general improves, whether that's as trade pieces or just simply on the roster for winning pieces. Um, that's where I see it being the real positive with him. But he made, he doesn't necessarily have to impact the uh, 2025 dream that I have. Okay. Uh, but you're saying that the next year you would want a star type player in the draft. Yes. I, yes, very much so. Well, I'd have to ask, I mean, given, I mean, we found it was tough to move up for Ivy. So, um, I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say that Knicks would be, I don't think they'd be picking too much higher than they did this year. You think that's fair to say? Like, yeah. It, a lot of it, I would say depends on if Brunson comes, what happens to Randall, um, how much or how RJ does, if he's, I suppose the first option, um, the younger players, like, but I agree. I think that they probably are picking closer to 13. Yeah. 14. If, not, if not a play in, right. Um, I mean, cause we saw what, we don't want to overweight what the young guys did. And if you're more, you know, um, if you're not quite as optimistic on that, but we saw that, I mean, Randall, shot like garbage for most of the year was not a positive on defense. Mitchell Robinson for the first third of the season was a negative on defense. Um, Fournier took a while to 
to get it acclimated. We spent a third of the season playing Kemba. Um, and the Knicks won 37 games. And they actually had a net rating. Based on their net rating, their expected would be 41. I know there's going to be a lot of people that will say, well, it, that's not a coincidence. You know, They don't have a late-game score. And that's fair to say. Maybe they're just a team that's going to chronically underperform. But we saw that like even the young guys... With, I mean, do you think it's fair to say that the young guys, even without Randall or, or these vets, have that baseline level of confidence where they're probably not going to lose more than 35 games? I mean, they're not going to win less than 35 games? This was a season that just felt like hell, and it was only a 37-win season. And like, it's crazy to think that this would still be one of the better seasons the Knicks have had in quite a long time. And I think if you are able to replace the veterans with the younger players, and yeah, they're they they're just younger players who are so dedicated and committed that they seem on track to do something better than what last year's team was. But right, so I'm at the point where let's say they're even they do get to the plan and they get bounced and they're picking thirteenth uh, or fourteenth. Um, and another thing to consider is that as the West gets stronger, two things. Number one, the Mavs pick might accrue in value. And number two, if a lot of teams in the West have winning records, that even if the Knicks make the plan and if they get bounced, they could still wind up picking 10th or 11th because the teams ahead of them are just all really good in the West. So, and then from there, it's okay, you take your pick, you take the Mavs pick, maybe you're able to move up a few spots. And then you could always jump another few spots depending on what picks you want to give up or if they're players that you have at your disposal, like that sort of mindset. It's not easy. But I think the difference is that it's not that the Knicks couldn't get Ivy. It's that there was a limitation to how much they were willing to give up. And in a class that's supposed to be really good next year, there still might be teams that feel, okay, yeah, we, we prioritize the pick that we have. But if we're wowed with an offer, we're comfortable moving off of it. And so that's kind of the prevailing thought there. Yeah, I mean, I... I think that moving up in the draft always seems a little bit like a catch-22 to me that, um, you know, you want to move up when there's a bona fide star. But if that bona fide star is going at five, Mm -hmm. it seems easier to do in football, I think, because it it seems like, I don't know if there's more of a disparity of opinion or depth is more important in football than than top-level star power, uh, unless you're talking about QBs. Um. So that's where I like, I'm always like moving up in the draft seems to be a little bit of an iffy proposition um, where like you, you basically have to be willing to say we, we might get fleeced unless this guy turns into a, a real all NBA level player. You did say you wanted to get a two or a three. Um, and I'm cur- and, and you mentioned Grimes. So we have Grimes, RJ, we have the vets, but uh, next year, Burks will be a free agent. Um, Fournier will be an expiring. Um, so we'll really just have Grimes, RJ, and Cam. Um, but those are three young guys. Why do you think... Because And there are Knicks fans who you know, think we need a point guard. There are people who are very dissatisfied with Mitchell Robinson. Um, so, I mean, would you say even if we didn't get Brunson, a two or three is the priority? And why is that... Um, why would that be like your kind of ideal? I guess it's more that, you know, like prototypically, um, Evan Fournier makes a lot of sense, but he's also missing a lot of what makes what would make Evan Fournier an elite wing, so to speak. Maybe more guard, I, depending on how you, cla- you know, he's a, he's a, he's six seven, um, 
can shoot lights out from three. The problem is he does not have the defensive acumen that might be needed. And there's more to his game that isn't really being showcased under Tibbs. But regardless, it's like, how can you find a player that's maybe able to create more as a primary option than Fournier, but also kind of as like more of a two-way player as well? And when I say two, three, I really mean like someone who can certainly play the two, maybe a little bit more primarily next to RJ, but has the size and length to switch when necessary. Like my whole thing is when the Knicks become a contender, I don't want there to be any weak links on the defensive end, but because I don't see them becoming a contender in the next three years, I'm much more comfortable with the idea of having someone like Brunson because I think in the regular season, you can get away with it in the playoffs. You can't. And that's fine because right now we just need the Knicks to make the playoffs and then consistently make the playoffs. And then after that, they're referred to as not a doormat, which um, they oftentimes are, even though as bad as last season was, there were 10 other teams that seemingly had a worse time than they did. So I guess that's really kind of where I'm at more. Just like if I don't, I know, and I know you're similar in this where I don't prioritize players at the five in a way that a lot of others might. It's an important position. I do think if you have, for example, if the Knicks had their own pick and the Mavericks pick, which they currently are slated to have, and they really wanted to draft a center, I'd be a little bit more comfortable with it because of the fact that with the first pick, they looked in another direction. But in that sense, it's okay, well, do I think Obi has a long-term future here? Is Randall going to be here? Is RJ being prioritized? I'm still not entirely sure that Cam is going to be here in uh, four to seven days. I just don't really know <laughs> financially if, if they're, you know, he's got a huge cap hold. A lot of it depends on Randall as well, because if you're basically, if you're paying Randall and you're not paying cam and you're also paying RJ, then the Knicks don't really have any spending ability. But if you don't have Randall for the, by spending ability, I mean for the, um, the 2023, 24 season, I'm looking further ahead, but yeah. if you have cam and no Randall, you're still in a, you're in a better place cap space wise, but not a great one. If you don't have either of them, then you could enter that summer with uh, a nice amount of room to do anything. So, and I don't expect any big stars to come about, but just like, if you're going to be a losing team, I'd rather have a losing team that's under the salary cap than one that's over the salary cap. So that's kind of the the thinking where then, you know, you still have, if you have Brunson in this case, if you have quickly, a lot of it comes into play where to me, it just feels like, what are you missing? You're missing someone who's like Cam. And you're missing someone who is like Fournier, but better, even if Fournier, well, I guess Fournier would be off the team. Like those to me, the kind of six, eight, six, seven athletic guard wing types, that archetype is in short supply in general. And high demand. And, and I mean, look demand. at Boston or Toronto, right? Like the teams exactly. are going to have to beat. So, right. And so if you're trading Cam out, then it only reinforces the need to get someone similar to that, but maybe better than what cam reddish or at least what you hope cam reddish would be and to be clear you're so you're making a distinction here it's not cam reddish's six million dollars salary next year you're talking about the cap hold the year after his cap hold is about 17 million i want to say and it's not so much that it's problematic i mean again if, if cam proves himself to be a good player then it's worth it because you can then kind of play with the money with his cap hold and do various things if need be it's more that the Knicks trading their first round pick, well, really the Hornets' first round pick, for Cam 
if he's not the player that they want him to be, then that would have been a waste of a pick. And I don't hate the fact that they're trying on Cam. I think it's totally fine. It's more that I just I think that he represented something more valuable than what that Hornets pick is and that the best the Knicks could probably do at the draft for the Hornets pick was getting a future protected one. And so, you know, there were there were reports of teams that were interested in Cam and were willing to give up a first round pick, but then maybe weren't able to like um, the Lakers, for example, obviously clutch central. Uh, they couldn't trade their first round pick last year, the distant one. So now they have access to another one. Maybe that's the sort of thing where they're willing to do a protected 2027 first round pick. And maybe it's lottery protected and it's lottery protected for two years. And then if it doesn't convey in 2028, it's two seconds, like that sort of thinking. And I think that would benefit the Knicks more because they're pushing that pick out further than they are for the Hornets pick. That just didn't make much sense to them. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. And then, um, so with Cam, you said four to seven days. Would would it make more sense to um, try to recoup some of his value maybe next year if it's at a low this point? Or do you think that, you know, and weighing that against, you know, if he plays really well and you have to pay him or, you know, how do you kind of weigh that, uh, those kind of, because if we, if we got rid of the next four to seven days, it probably not get much value, right? So. It's certainly lower than what it would have been. I'm all for recouping the value. If the Knicks want to keep him until the deadline, and if he's playing really well, then that solves itself in its own right. It's more just if you can find a buyer, then I think, and and it's like similar to the price you paid, or maybe it is a first-round pick, and the Knicks chip in a second-round pick, and maybe cash, something along those lines. Like That's where it makes sense. You don't want to say like, well, because of the future, we just don't want to deal with Cam, get rid of him. That's not what I mean to suggest. It's more just if you can find someone that's willing to pay around the same price that you paid, go for it. If you feel like you have to wait till the deadline, hold off. But to me, the big thing is, assuming Quentin Grimes is still here, you have to essentially get rid of two of, let's see, it's it's Fournier, Burks, Cam, and then... I guess, who would the other player be? I mean, you could say Rose, especially if Brunson comes to the picture, but um, I, I think the Knicks are going to keep Rose, even though I don't necessarily feel like that'd be the best thing for Emmanuel quickly. So how you kind of like, if you get r- rid of two of the guys I just mentioned, then it makes a lot more sense. But if you don't, then it's just, there's there's a logjam of sorts. And then you've got either a young player on the outside looking in, or a veteran who should be trying to, or who would be playing because Tibbs loves to play veterans, and it's just for some reason the outside looking in, and that doesn't help in trading that player. So it's a sticky situation either way. I don't think they can enter the offseason with one of Cam or Grimes outside of the rotation if they're both on the same team. So would getting rid of Fournier and Burks kind of alleviate that? I mean, is that the only way? A little bit, yeah. You know, I mean, but the thing is, then you have to consider you dumping both of those players for nothing in return are you trading burks for brunson in some capacity in a sign and trade how, how does it work brunson to the boston trade uh, trade exception and then or burks they send us a second yeah burks. yeah right like that's that basically finding a trade player exception would be one avenue i know that the or we know that the knicks tried to dump evan fournier back into the trade player exception that the celtics created they didn't really want him which makes a lot of sense so 
maybe well, they, if you're the they've Knicks. They've never seen him play, so how would they know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, another opportunity could be, you know, the Knicks trade Fournier to, uh, I'm just spitballing here, but like the Blazers and the Blazers send back Bledsoe. That's a player who's completely out of the rotation. Obviously, the Knicks would want pick compensation. I don't know what the Blazers would be able to give up since their picks are kind of under lock and key from Chicago. So that's the the prevailing thought as well. Can you basically turn Fournier into something that's better down the line and take on dead money, giving him to a team that might be of more interest than bad salary that they have that's especially expiring? So there, there are ways that can go about it. It's just, it's tricky. I don't envy them. Yeah, it definitely seems to be um, a difficult situation. Uh, moving beyond kind of Brunson, um, so if they are clearing cap space this offseason, um, you know, you mentioned the 2-3. Uh, you mentioned, you know, I, I certainly agree, like particularly bigs that are you know, rim runners and rim protectors. It seems to be that it's not even that they're replaceable or whatever, that centers are running backs. But, you know, you can only play one on, a, on the floor at a time unless they can shoot. And, um, and you know, like I think the 50th percentile versus the 80th, 85th percentile is not a huge difference there. But if they were to go after a guy like DeAndre and uh, Zach Levine's a free agent, do you think uh, <laughs> we heard about Kyrie Irving today? I don't think that's a, a serious possibility. But uh, you know, to what extent, if they miss on Brunson, um, you know, do you think that maybe they, they start to look at some of those options or do you think they're pretty locked in in, in terms of the plan A, B, C, and, and C? A, B, C, and C. A, B, and C. <laughs> I think they're probably pretty locked in on Brunson from what reports indicate. The tricky thing with Levine is he's eligible for five years uh, and a lot of money. The Knicks would not be able to give him that. They're, they were a worse team than the Bulls. I don't know what the connection would be other than Tibbs, who I, Levine said nice things about Tibbs in the media, but Tibbs still did trade him away for Jimmy Butler. Not, you know, n- nothing to sneeze at, obviously, but still, I don't, I don't know what would drive Levine to go to the Knicks in general. Um, with Aiton, the tricky part is he is a restricted free agent, so you'd have to pretty much work out a sign and trade unless you can clear enough money to give him an offer sheet. And then and, you wait for the, the max would be something like 30 for him? 30, 30 and a half million dollars. So yes. they'd, have, they'd have to go beyond what they have to do for Brunson to be able to do that. Exactly. And so then what would happen is on July 6th, the Knicks would present the Suns with an offer sheet, or they'd present Aiton with it. He'd sign it. The Suns would have up to two days to match. Free agency goes really quickly now. So it's the sort of thing where if the Suns really wanted to screw over the Knicks, they could just wait two whole days, match it, and then the market presumably presumably flies by and there's nothing the Knicks can do about it because there's their money is locked in and they wouldn't be getting Aiton. So that's why... It, that happened with the Kings and the Hawks with Bogdan Bogdanovich. Yeah. It doesn't really happen a ton. Most of these things are pretty well worked out, but my guess would be Aiton kind of finds a solution well before July 6th. It's just it, like they don't have to wait for an offer sheet to be signed and see if the Suns match or not because this once Aiton signs that offer sheet, he has two options. Number one, he walks and the Suns get nothing. Number two, the Suns retain him. You can't work out a sign and trade once the offer sheet is signed. So that's why I would imagine he probably finds a home, you know, July 2nd, 
July 3rd, maybe. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, Could be earlier. Little reminiscent of actually the Greg Monroe situation, although I think Eaton's a little bit better position. But I remember when he was a free agent, the Knicks were targeting. <laughs> that took a day or two. Ended up siding with Milwaukee, and that was a big disappointment. Um, although I think we ended up with the better or the more useful player, at least that season, Robin Lopez. Um, there's a couple more questions I want to ask you. So this is a little bit of I'm putting you on the spot here. But um, predict the starting five for the Knicks game one 2002-2023 season. All right. I will go with, I'll say Brunson, Fournier, Barrett, Toppin, Robinson. Oh. So you think Randall's going to be traded? I know, but... There is okay. <laughs> it's funny because we were talking about this on uh, the podcast we recorded yesterday for Nick's Film School, where I will believe he's gone when I see it, but I just also don't know how this can continue. Like, I, I know how it can continue in the sense of, well, the Knicks just don't want to trade him. They want to build his value back up and all that. I just, the Knicks front office would do themselves a great disservice by not getting Randall out. And I think that. A lot of people can talk themselves into Brunson because of the talent that he has. And there are going to be people who just aren't interested in spending the kind of uh, mo- in how much money the Knicks spent. But with Randall, I don't know how you can really do it because we saw, yes, we saw him have that all NBA season, but banking on that to happen, I just don't, I don't see it happening. And so if you're able to remove Randall, what you're selling to the fans is a team where the biggest distraction is no longer on the team. RJ Barrett, focal point of the offense, Obi Toppin, who is a fan favorite. Maybe he might honestly be the biggest fan favorite. I don't know. Um, them. It depends who you ask. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, Brunson in the fold. You still have Mitch. You've got some outside shooting and then off the bench, you know, it's, it's probably Rose. It's quickly, it's Grimes. My personal preference would be Grimes starting over Fournier. Fournier solidifying the bench, but I don't think that Tibbs would be cool with rolling out a good defender. Four guys, yeah, I know that, and four guys under the age of twenty-five years old in the starting lineup. So that, that's why I think it would probably be that way. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, the thing is, Grimes is a little bit small for the three, but he's got the wingspan to kind of help him out a little bit, and then. You know, you get someone at the four, whether it's a trade coming back, if it was the Randall deal, and then you probably have Sims at the five, something like that. Okay. Um, I mean, do you think Randall's negative value? No, I think, I think it's neutral just because of the fact that we know, even as inefficient as he has been, it just what he's able to do is very much impressive just in terms of creating his own shot and passing and and playmaking. The problem is that the decision-making just gets in the way a lot of the time. And I think there are enough contracts and enough players out there and where you could see a deal working out. But when you go through the list and you narrow it down, it's, it's really tricky to do that. I mean, if you look at the deals that went for Christian Wood and Jeremy Grant, right? Like late firsts and, and some filler. Do you think Randall 
would get in that ballpark? Is that maybe the value or not that high? I'd hope so. You know, I mean, again, like his his high was higher than a either lot of, players. of players have right, either of those players and a lot of other players has ever achieved. So if you're a team and you're like one of the teams I think of, and we could talk about the Mavs. Obviously, they don't really have the the salary that I think the Knicks would want if they want to go under the cap for uh, not this upcoming season, but the season after that, then, you know, like Bertans doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Tim Hardaway Jr. Doesn't make sense. Those are really the two guys who are going to be kind of the meat of the salary filler to get Randall. So it's like, well, where does he go? And I still wonder if the Raptors get Gobert and they trade OG Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr. Does Randall for, Bogdanovich and like Hernan Gomez and a really protected 2028 first round pick. Is that something that would appeal to them? Because his contract lines up exactly with Donovan Mitchell's. You've made the team better. We know Danny Ainge really liked Julius Randall in the draft in 2014 when he was drafted. You're able to go a little bit smaller if you want, which is something that I feel like the jazz never really got to do a great job of, and they didn't have the defenders to do. And with Ananobi and Trent jr, they might be able to better position themselves. It's someone that can offensively take the heat from Donovan Mitchell. It's, it's that type of trade. It doesn't have to be that trade. Exactly. But like in my mind, that is certainly more ideal. It's just a matter of, does a team like the jazz view him in such a way where it's worth giving up Bogdanovich, even though they can replace him with Joe Ingles on a minimum contract as he comes back from his ACL tear. Um, Hernan Gomez, I, you know, I don't think is a huge need for them, but we'll see. And then that first, if it's I mean, their protections, is that something they're willing to do? It's that type of deal. I would love to see Julius moved out for, because I don't know how much better value he can have moving forward without impacting Obi Toppin and the rest of the team. Yeah. No, I think that most would agree with you there. Um, if it, if the situation is, you know, maybe Randall in a vacuum is at negative value, teams still appreciate what he brings, but given the contract, given kind of how tight some of the situations might be, there is no really good deal on the table. Do you think that the situation is so unstable or unsustainable that like if you had to give up you know, several seconds, maybe even a late heavily protected first, do you think it'd be worth it? I think the Knicks are going to want it to be at least neutral. Yeah. Maybe more. But, you know, obviously they they want to I mean, how it seems is they they want to build around it because they gave him the contract. But in my mind, giving someone a contract doesn't really mean a whole lot. And if you don't believe me, ask Blake Griffin when he resigned with the Clippers. <laughs> so it's that sort of mindset of if they have to pay to get rid of him, then I don't think they would do it but they do also have to look at the flip side of it. I mean, they don't have to, you run the risk of someone like Obi Toppin saying, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. I want an opportunity to play. You don't want to get to that point, but you also can then say to him, well, look, we, we want to play you, but we can't really do much about it at the moment. We'd love for you to be patient. I don't know how much time that would be. I don't want to freak anyone out about that mindset, but it's why I ultimately feel that if Randall's value is truly neutral and you can even find bad money that's out there, especially that's expiring, there's going to be a team that's interested. It's just, it's unfortunate that Randall's season went the way it did, but if it didn't, we'd probably be talking about potentially Randall staying here. Yeah. And maybe trading Obi, right? So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, um, and then you said Fournier starting, I assume you just don't think that there's going to be a deal out there for him. 
or do you think the Knicks really just do want to keep him and then wait till he's expiring to to get more value out of that? I think there could be. It's just, you know, if my first reaction was Fournier is not going to be here, they're going to find a way to get rid of him. But at a certain point, how many veterans are the Knicks going to take away from the team? Like there has to be someone from, or at least two players from last season who are veterans who are staying. And so I think Burks is a much easier contract to move based on how the contract's structured. But yes, I think that Fournier is probably much more, attractive of an asset in the 2023 season than he is in the in this offseason because you know the next offseason you're looking at a guy who's expiring if you want him and he can give you good value or you can get two years of the deal whereas now it's well you could get two years because you have to get two years and you get three if you want it so i think for you know someone like alec burks the contract was structured to be moved this year for fournier it was probably structured to be moved next year Randall is probably structured to be moved next year as well, but it's sort of now like if it's not, if they can't coexist him and Obi, then you could still find a way to move him. And for what I would hope would be just neutral value. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, thanks Jeremy. I do have one more question, uh, that I'm very curious about before I let you go. Um, so you have pretty close to an unmatched knowledge of the cap and rules. I think you probably get tagged 10, 15 times a day by random people on Nick's Twitter asking a question about if a trade works or if someone can fit. And I got to ask, how did you, um, how did you get into to the cap and, and just that kind of um, detail? It's actually really funny because when I, I wrote for this other site for a a while and talked about the Knicks and I didn't really find my niche. And then a uh, friend of this pod, Doug, who contributes for the Strickland, he would do something on Nick's on the Knicks subreddit of essentially like the roster and how things built out and moving pieces. And it just, it was very fascinating to me, the intricacies and kind of, it feels like a, a lot of puzzle pieces, but you're placing one another and hoping this spot fits and it just kind of all latches together. And I didn't, I never really loved math as a kid and I still don't really love math, but there's something about the creativity and the the strategy and how you can make all of these different things work and move and the intricacies of it, which oftentimes are, uh, I mean, just stubborn as hell and really frustrating. Like, there's no reason why certain rules should exist, but kind of the the limitations that provide you. It's just like it, it gets me to think critically and creatively in a way that I don't necessarily get to do in my day to day life uh, or my job. And it's just a lot of fun. And it's cool that other people find it interesting as well. And in the event that they don't, you know, I, I like being able to just kind of give an understanding of what that is, because my whole philosophy is if we can. Like if, if I can learn something and help make fans a little bit more educated on something, it leads to better conversations. If it leads to better conversations, then we're all having a, a better time discussing things. So that's pretty much how I got into it. Yeah, it's uh that's pretty interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, you guys heard it, heard it here first. Brock Aller, if you're listening, uh, we have a very passionate cap guy here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think everyone, uh, Everyone agree you've definitely helped the conversation here 
Um, and it's certainly great to, to have someone with that kind of knowledge um, in this uh, in this community. Um, so uh, I think we can we can call it a day there. Um, Jeremy, before I let you go, do you want to uh, plug anything? Yeah, absolutely. So um, love to plug Nick's Film School, and I'm not as, I'm not contributing to the Strickland as much as I had before, but certainly them too. For Nick's Film School this week on uh, Wednesday the 29th, I've been doing a, a series called Cap Rules Everything Around Me Cream to just kind of do a Q&A on YouTube. So if you're listening to this and you want to stop by, um, I think it's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time that we'll be doing it. And then we've got a live show for free agency. It'll be, um, I want to say, 5 to 11 on June 30th, but we're still waiting to work out some of the details. You're doing a six-hour show? We are. We're going to take some breaks. Uh, we'll take turns, but not going to, you know, it'll be like a 30 minute break where I get food, maybe go to the bathroom, uh, t- you know, grab another beer. That's wow, slacking, Jeremy. You're really going to take know. a bathroom break during free agency? I know. I should just wear a diaper instead. But alas, <laughs> uh, so it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun if you're not doing anything and you want to have some action being broken down in, in real time, then. We are around. Cool. Well, I will, I'll definitely have to check that out too. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, Jeremy. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, I hope everyone learned as much as I did. And uh, yeah, this is uh, Stacy Patton signing off um, on Believe Nicks. Everyone have a great week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.